Hello and welcome to episode 211 of Turkey Book Talk. Thank you for listening. I'm William Armstrong here in Istanbul. Remember to follow Turkey Book Talk over at Twitter or X, Instagram and or Facebook. There's Blue Sky as well if you're one of the few people who use that. In this episode, we hear from Tuba Tekarek. She's a journalist and the author of Tashra Universiteleri Ak Parti'nin Arka Kampusu or Provincial Universities, the Ak Parti's Backyard Campus. It's a book that was published in Turkish by İletişim and made quite a stir here in Turkey last year, garnering plenty of attention and winning a Turkish Journalists Association Sedat Simavi Award. The book shines a light on various instances of academic malpractice in Turkey over the past decade or so, but it specifically drills down on the phenomenon of the many new universities that have been opened since Turkey's ruling party first entered office in 2002. In 2006, there were 53 universities in just over half of Turkey's provinces, whereas today there are over 200 universities, including over 200 state universities, as a result of the government's campaign to open a university in every province. The book shows how this campaign has arguably lowered academic standards in the country, while simultaneously providing the government with a model to further spread its religious nationalist ideology and sustain a particular economic model. Tubar Tekarek paints a grim picture of a system where learning, teaching and researching has basically been emptied of value. It's a system where students can often enter the university without meeting any standards or passing the nationwide university entrance exam. The book also gives us a vivid idea of campuses with stifling atmospheres, universities operating with zero autonomy, effectively as extensions of the provincial activities of Erdogan's ruling party. We dig into all that in our conversation, but before we get started, I'm going to appeal once again for support. It takes a lot of time and effort to read all these books, prepare the podcast, edit it and piece it all together. And I do need listeners support, your support to be able to keep doing it. Since launching the podcast back in 2015, we've given a platform to researchers and authors working on Turkish history, politics, society, literature and the arts. Turkey Book Talk is completely independent with no sponsorships. It depends 100% on the goodwill of listeners like you. So if you are able to support, please consider becoming a Turkey Book talk member on patreon supporting on patreon isn't just a nice thing to do it also gets you some pretty good extras those extras include a terrific 35% discount off the price of all books published in IB Taurus and Bloomsbury's excellent Turkey and Ottoman history series. As a member, you get a special code to use at the online checkout and you can use it to purchase any of hundreds of Turkey and Ottoman history titles, either as an old fashioned physical book or as an ebook. Turkey Book Talk members also receive a PDF transcript of every interview as soon as the episode is published. You also get PDF transcripts of the entire archive of Turkey Book Talk interviews when you sign up, including many extras that have not previously been published on the podcast. And finally, to members, I also send links to a couple of articles related to the subject of the episode upon publication, which is ideal if you want to delve a bit deeper. To become a member, just go to Turkey Book Talk's Patreon page and pledge $3, €3 or £2.50 per episode. If you're feeling particularly generous and want to pledge more, then of course you'll be more than welcome to do that. But so long as you pledge $3, €3 or £2.50 or above per episode, membership is entirely at your own discretion. It's inflation proof and there are no prior commitments or strings attached, you'll be free to sign off whenever you want. 
But now on to our conversation with Tuba Tekarek. Her book is based on eight years of on-the-ground reporting and interviews with students and staff in provincial universities across Turkey. So I started by asking her where the idea for the project first came from. We, the journalists in Turkey, in Istanbul, in Ankara, we have generally the tendency to look at the issues in Istanbul, in Ankara and in big cities. But I think very deep waves are taking place all over the country at also the provincial side. So whenever I have an opportunity to do a story, to, to make a, a research, I look into provincial areas. I was uh, aware that there was a transformation in general in academia. So I wanted to look at what's happening in small cities in places where generally the journalists don't focus too much. So that's how I started the project. After 2006, AK Party started a wave of new universities. Most of them, or at least part of them, were in small cities at the start. So I chose five universities in small cities, which are Ağrı, Bingöl, Yalova, Giresun and Kilis. I went to these universities, also their campuses in the districts. I talked to students and academic staff and, if possible, directors and the directors there. In the book, you list astonishing stories and shocking episodes. You talk in the book about fashion design students at Giresun University who have graduated without ever once seeing fabric or the psychology department at Munzur University that doesn't have a single academic or teacher who was actually educated in that subject. There's another example from Ibrahim Chechen University in Ara, where the same teacher gives classes on issues as diverse as ancient history, medieval history, European Union, human rights and religious culture. And this teacher doesn't actually even have a doctorate or master's themselves. Somewhere else, there's a teacher from a, a veterinary department who's giving lessons in behavioral biology. So the list really goes on of these examples of shoddy standards. Were you shocked by the examples that you found as you did the research for the book? Yes, I was shocked. I knew that the education was not high quality, but the most shocking point was that I talked to a graduate from education department. That young guy was prepared to be a teacher of physics. And he said that for their main physics course, a teacher from primary school, from primary school, come to the university and gave a lecture to, to them. So they learned their physics from a primary school teacher. I think uh, that was the most shocking point. And yes, as you say, there are many students who graduate from the university without seeing a professor in their fields. Or as you say, at Munzur University, the students doesn't have a faculty member, academic staff who has education in psychology field so that's the level of uh, that's the level of education the quality of education and i was really surprised 
And you said earlier that the government really started to deliberately open universities after 2006 across the country. And that was part of a really concerted effort. You write in the book at one point that the ACT Party is not opening these universities for students to get good education or for academics to do international standard research. You argue that the government actually has other aims and intentions in opening these universities. So what is the government's aim, in your opinion, in opening these universities? Who's benefiting from this proliferation of universities across the country? Where does the pressure or demand to establish these universities come from? We can say that the government has maybe three motivations for uh, establishing these uh, universities. As you mentioned, uh, the education or the research is not the primary goal. We can say the primary goal, one of the primary goals is bringing some sort of economic development to that uh, city or to that district. Uh, You mentioned about fashion design education in a district of Giresun city. In that small district, the population is just 10,000 people, very low number of population. And there is no theater, there is no, as you say, fabric. The the students cannot find a fabric for their courses, for their education. And it's not easy to find good quality instructors, academic stuff there. There is no fashion industry there. So why the government is opening a department uh, there. The reason is uh, to make the tradesmen, to, to make the shopkeepers make some money with the students' uh, spendings. For example, people are thinking in a city, let's say 10,000 university students, and every student buys one bagel every day, it makes 10,000 lira per day. So this is an important money for them. In these small cities, um, they, they normally should make money from agriculture, but the agriculture, they cannot make money out of it. So economic dimension is very important. Also, in these universities, the instructors are recruited for these universities. This is also an important employment opportunity for the people there. So, AK Party can provide employment opportunities uh, to its supporters there. And also, there are some big procurements or big constructions of buildings, procurements of, let's say, computer computers or automobiles. So this is also a way to transfer capital, to transfer money to its supporters in these small cities. I can say that's the first uh, dimension, economic dimension. The second dimension, when you have universities across the country and you recruit academic staff parallel to your ideology, then it means that you have hundreds of thousands of academic staff who can talk in parallel to your ideology from the Kurdish issue to the gender issue. AK Party supporting professors, we can say 
is another dimension. Also, these professors are collecting data from the field and analyzing them in parallel to AK Party ideology, again, from the Kurdish issue to women's issue. The third and maybe the most important uh, dimension is having new generations which are close to AK Party ideology who are nationalist and religion. We see that the general curriculum uh, in the universities or or the activities, the conferences, the panels uh, in the universities are organized to serve to this end. That issue has got a lot of attention in relation to the opening of universities in recent years in Turkey. And your book really does probe that. Could you talk a bit more about that? You know, Erdogan has repeatedly in recent years discussed this aim of raising religious generations And Islamists and conservatives still talk about how the fact that despite over two decades of the AK Party being in power, they still believe that they haven't established what they call cultural hegemony in Turkey. So it seems like this project of opening universities across the country in small provincial areas, that project is kind of related to this broader anxiety of establishing cultural dominance, essentially, in the country. So how does this project to open these universities fit into that broader aim of achieving cultural or academic hegemony? When you have professors teaching courses in line with AK Party ideology, when you recruit professors who are generally close uh, to the party, who are generally religious and nationalists, they give the lectures in that framework. I want to give you here the example of women and family life course in Gerson University, for example. That course was first designed to talk about the gender equality issue after the killing of women in Turkey after there is a huge, huge reaction uh, to this issue, they first started uh, this course to, to, to make young people more aware of this violence issue. But then the religious and nationalist professors, directors in the university, turned uh, this project. They give lectures about uh, the women and family issue and there are articles in the book which is proposed for this uh, course there are articles which tell us how women should cover themselves for example how uh, they should be away from the males before marriage for example or from the heritage, women, females should get half portion compared to males, for example. It is written in these articles in, in this way. So this is one course. Or when you look at the activities, panels in the universities, they are mostly as a propaganda of nationalist and religious ideology. For example, nowadays, 
there is a project by Tugwa. Tugwa is uh, close to the government and they are organizing education series in these universities, especially in small in universities in small cities. This is like 10 week course and every week people who are AK Party members, who are AK Party politicians or academics, journalists close to AK Party are coming to the university and giving lectures to the students. And the one last example sh- uh, should be from the dormitories of these universities. In these dormitories, for example, the personnel of religious administration is employed there. They are staying there in the dormitories and uh, they are making some education, some workshops uh, with the students there. And they are giving also advices. Re- the religious personnel from the religious administration is giving advisors or organizing workshops for students. When I look at these students, I see that they are almost circled from everywhere in the classes, uh, in the campus, in the universities with people who want to raise them as religious and nationalist people. The question arises, you know, why is necessarily the opening of more universities, more educational institutions away from the traditional centres like Istanbul or Ankara? Why is that a bad thing? As I was reading the book, I was thinking about the example or the debate in the UK, because the narrative there, for example, is that, you know, one of the perceived successes of the previous generation was to spread higher education with the opening of new universities in many different cities across the country. And that was seen as this also a way of spreading opportunity and prosperity. So when people talk about the higher education sector in the UK, they often say, you know, these institutions are very important for sustaining the local economy in a number of these provincial cities. And if they didn't exist, you know, that would be a huge problem for these areas. It was just interesting, you know, to compare it with Turkey, because there's something similar in terms of the amount of universities being opened up in recent years here. But how and why would you say that the cases there are different? What's the critical perspective of why opening so many universities across the country is a bad thing necessarily? Uh, first, I also want to mention about the positive sides. Yes, it brings the opportunity of higher education to young people who are generally members of not wealthy families, uh, from poor families, and also especially the young women from conservative families. I can comfortably say that an imam, a religious person in our would not let her daughter go to university in Istanbul. But if there's a university in Ara, that young woman has a chance to get a higher education and they are doing this. And yes, these universities opens a window to young people from poor families and f- uh, from conservative f- families. This is one positive side. And also it changes the conservative culture in the city partially we can say this and it also helps sustaining the local economy uh, in the small cities uh, they were open these are the positive sides 
But uh, the problem here is that the main team, the essence of higher education is giving at least acceptable quality education to young people. That's the problem. AK Party could have opened universities in small cities and it could have worked well if the main goal was giving high quality education to these uh, students but up party's goal is not giving good quality education uh, to these people when you don't have that goal then you open departments without any professors you open a psychology department without any psychology academic stuff with the psychology education so that's the problem it could have turned into a good project if it was used according to the purposes of university i would say and also the number of universities opened in a few years was huge so the turkey didn't have the infrastructure didn't have the capacity to provide academic stuff to these universities but ak party ignored this uh, point because having good teachers was not an important uh, dimension of this project that's the problem in this project of bringing higher education to small cities a couple of months ago in response to your book i saw there was a column written in uh, yeni shafak written by yasin aktai so one of these prominent figures i think he was an advisor to erdogan at one stage senior figure in the uh, akp he criticized the book and he used a number of pieces of evidence to support that argument he said that the number of turkish universities in uh, for example the times higher education supplements top 1000 universities in the world has actually risen in recent years and he also argued that the limited number of universities in turkey before 2006 were also places of ideological conformity basically claiming that religious believers were sidelined and suppressed at that point in universities so what did you make of that i mean did you see that piece and what's your response to the arguments that he put forward in that article Yes, I saw that piece and it tells that these universities are making international researches and they are bringing for example Bingöl University they are bringing the honey of that area to to the world scene but actually that issue it's a bit complicated issue it bases its argument on a fake competition the competition which told bingöl honey was the world top honey was a fake competition unfortunately there is no independent media in turkey there are not independent bodies which can assess the successes of these uh, universities so that's why these politicians can base their arguments on fake competitions but yes the number of universities in the times higher education list might have increased some people say that there are also some problematic uh, issues in that ranking as for the universities before 2006 which has some ideological engagements yes uh, that's true the universities of turkey the professors in turkey the directors had always some ideological engagements and that reflected into the education 
But here with AK Parti universities, that ideological engagement, that ideological motivation was increased to very high levels and the attention to the quality declined a lot. For example, before 2006, the criteria for being a professor, you need to have good language abilities. But that requirement declined, declined, declined. And we can say that most of the professors in those small cities doesn't have enough English. They cannot speak enough English to follow uh, the literature in their field. So there is a compromise here. And for example, even if you are an you are a good professor, if you have to be critical of AK Party, you cannot get the job. But if you are an AK Party supporter, and if you have good connections in the party, and you don't have enough qualifications to to get the job in terms of academic qualifications, you can still get the job. So the ideological part is very very important in this AK Party era of universities. And the other side of the coin, of course, is the declining standards at more established, respected universities. How is the tendency that you describe in the book of these new universities opening across the provinces in Turkey? How is that process affecting these more established, more rooted, more highly regarded universities in Istanbul, in Ankara? I see that AK Party started a AK Party type university in the small cities, in the provincial areas. There was a model where you can start departments without any professors from that field. So the AK Party get the know-how there and it get the confidence there. And then step by step, it brought that model, AK Party type university model to big uh, universities, to more rooted, established universities. For example, there are universities in the provincial side where the mosques were opened years before the library, for example. The mosques are very important part of the universities in provincial sites. After years, these mosques are started to build in also the big city universities too. Also with the professors who were raised, who, who get up to a point in their academic carriers were brought to these big universities. The academic staff were changed uh, in these big universities, in these rooted universities there. So the decline, the low quality education, we can say, is also brought to the universities in big cities in time. And one campus where that has been particularly keenly felt is, of course, Boazici University, which in recent years, as has been well reported, has come under immense pressure from the government, basically been seen as an area for conquest, essentially, by the ruling party. And really, people are now starting to talk about Boazici University through various methods, basically being step by step dismantled, essentially, or, or what it used to represent being dismantled and replaced with something else. 
you, I believe, are a graduate of Boazic University. What's the latest with that situation and how has watching that happen made you reflect? Obviously, you were writing this book during that process that was happening in a completely different academic environment. So it must have been quite strange to watch that from afar. But how has watching that happen made you feel? Yeah, uh, I was writing the book and I was seeing what's happening in the Boston University and my heart uh, was tearing apart, uh, I would say. Yes, the universities are places of freedom. It is one of the main essential things in a university. And AK Party established universities which are under its domination. Directors are appointed by AK Party and these rectors in these small cities are almost like members of AK Party. They directed the university, they managed the university in that framework. And we cannot talk about any freedom in these uh, small universities. You cannot establish any conference or do a student club activity, which is outside of the framework of AK Party ideology. So that model where there is no autonomy to the university and where there is no freedom in the university, as we mentioned, are brought step by step to big universities. And we can say Boston University was the last place to conquer for the AK Party. Most of the universities, other universities in big cities, generally could not raise their voices as uh, Boston University professors. But Boston University professors objected what the government was trying to do there. For example, if you recruit staff to a department, all the department decides about it altogether. But now the rector opens a position, but now the department, the, the faculty doesn't have any idea about it. Without their knowledge, these positions are opened. So, yes, it was the last place to conquer and for the last three years uh, AK Party is trying to do that I think. This question of the fate of academia in Turkey is has been on the agenda for a number of years and kind of a symptom of the broader political situation in the country. One thing that was on the agenda that I want to ask you about because it seems to have fallen off a bit. I mean, I saw a lot of reporting on it a few years ago, but seems to have fallen out of focus. But I wonder what the situation is with it now. And this that's the question of thesis writing, this thesis writing industry where people basically pay companies or pay individuals to write their master's or PhD thesis for them. And then universities don't really have the resources or the inclination to actually tackle this problem effectively. And presumably... In these provincial universities, this whole dilemma of the thesis writing industry is really rampant because of these lower standards. Is that the case? I mean, how widespread and serious is this problem? Yes, uh, this is a very widespread problem in Turkey. I think 
this issue that uh, some companies are writing thesis, master thesis, PhD thesis for students, for, for master's uh, PhD students, still continue. We don't see news anymore about it because it's no more newsworthy. It turned into something normal. It doesn't make any impact, although it's a scandal. So everyone sees it uh, normal. The issue is not limited to the thesis writing by companies for the students. There are many academics who are publishing their articles in the predatory academic journals, which doesn't comply with the criteria of a good quality academic journal. I think it tells us about the general situation, general problem of academia in Turkey, there's a widespread and deep-rooted problem with regards to ethics in Turkish academia right now. The quality of your academic work or the fact that you do your work in an ethical way or not is not important in Turkish academia. Academics are not appointed or promoted based on their merits, but the other factors, the factors like whether you have a connection with some politically important people in the ruling party, that's much more important than your thesis, your academic uh, articles. So no one is ashamed if someone finds out you publish your article in a predatory journal or it's find out that you didn't write uh, your PhD thesis but a company wrote it for you. No one is ashamed. So that's the general atmosphere in academia where ethics is not an important issue and this thesis writing issue is just where this issue is become visible. And finally, again on this broader question of uh, the fate of academia, there's been a lot of talk recently about a brain drain from Turkey, obviously educated people leaving the country, that means from a number of different professions and that also includes academics. And that's been going on for a number of years, seems to have accelerated with the economic difficulties of that Turkey's experienced in recent years. So do you think we can draw a direct line between the tendency of lower standards in the education system that you track in the book and the push for people, for educated people to, to leave the country in recent years? As I already said, your qualifications, your merit is not the main basic criteria which determines the positions you get in your career in Turkey. You can be a doctor, for example, or an academic. Maybe you have very good quality education and you do your work in a very good way, but these factors are not important. That doesn't the main determining factors for the positions you get, the money you get. For example, the doctors, they are working hard, hard etc. But they think that their work, their efforts are not respected. 
And for academics, they can have very good educations in Turkey or abroad, and they are putting effort for doing their best, and they are publishing good articles, giving good lectures. But that doesn't mean anything for the department head or the dean or the rector. Although you put a lot of effort, someone who, who knows someone from the AK Party headquarters gets the position you deserve. So people think that they don't get what they deserve and they don't want to put their effort in this country and they think that they have to leave uh, the country to get what they deserve, actually. And also, I think, beside this, being free, the feeling of freedom is very important. A doctor might want to tweet something in social media, for example, criticizing something about the health system, or an academic may want to criticize something in the university which he she sees doesn't go well. But they don't think that they have the right for freedom of expression. They feel themselves silenced. So they don't want to live somewhere. They cannot freely express their views about the general work atmosphere or political atmosphere. I think that's another reason for brain drain. And this is really very, very serious problem in Turkey. I also see it in the academic field. People really qualified are leaving Turkish uh, academia and this will deepen the problems Turkish academia already have, let's say, in a decade. That was Tuba Tekarek. Many thanks to her for joining for episode 211. Remember, we do need your support to keep Turkey Book Talk going, and you can give that support by joining as a Turkey Book Talk member on Patreon. Membership gets you a 35% discount on all Turkey Ottoman history books published by IB Taurus and Bloomsbury, transcripts of every interview, transcripts of the entire archive of interviews, and links via email to articles and other content related to the subject of each episode. For all that, just go to Turkey Book Talk's Patreon account and pledge $3, €3 or £2.50 per episode. Do also rate the podcast or write a positive review wherever you listen. Spread the word, give us a shout out on your own social media accounts. Follow via our website, turkeybooktalk.com, our Twitter or X, Facebook or Instagram accounts, or all of them. Follow me, William Armstrong, on Blue Sky. Recommend Turkey Book Talk to a friend or a foe. And I always enjoy hearing from listeners, so do send any feedback or abuse to williamjohnarmstrong at gmail.com. Finally, let me once again remind you to check out a friend of Turkey Book Talk, Turkey Recap. Turkey Recap is a weekly email newsletter that brings together all major developments in Turkey over the past seven days, links to interesting articles and some excellent puns. They've got a Slack channel for signed up members who want more, and they also publish high quality original on the ground reporting. Just go to turkeyrecap.com and follow the links there to subscribe. But until our next episode of Turkey Book Talk in a couple of weeks, thank you very much for listening. Thank you.